Welcome to Connected Intelligence, a podcast about all the things we bring to work that aren't actually about the work. Join us in conversation about the building blocks that bring complex ideas to life. Not the code, calculations, or research, but the bonds between teammates, connection to your purpose, and the character that you build along the way. Welcome back. I'm your host, Sonia Senek. Today's guests are Eva and Alan Lau. Eva is a well-respected entrepreneur turned investor and one of the few women leading a venture fund in Canada. She's the founding partner of Two Small Fish Ventures, a venture fund that invests globally in early stage transformative tech companies with strong network effects. Before starting Two Small Fish Ventures, she was Wattpad's head of community and content. Eva helped nurture and scale Wattpad from its infancy to become one of the world's largest online communities with tens of millions of monthly users around the world. Eva is also involved in many incubators and accelerators, such as Creative Destruction Lab at Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto, The Entrepreneurship Hatchery, Ryerson's DMZ, University of Waterloo's Velocity, and Techstars. She also serves on the board of Branksome Hall, Upside Foundation, Volta in Halifax, and a number of startup companies. Alan Lau is a visionary serial entrepreneur and leader in Canada's tech community. As the CEO and co-founder of Toronto-based Wattpad, Alan led an international team with the inspiring vision to leverage groundbreaking technology to fundamentally disrupt the entertainment industry while empowering diverse voices. In 2021, the company was acquired by Naver, the South Korean internet conglomerate, in a transaction valued at more than $600 million U.S. Alan champions the interests of Canadian technology companies at all levels of government as a member of the Canadian Council of Innovators. He's also the co-founder of Two Small Fish Ventures. Alan has twice been named one of the top 50 most influential people by Toronto Life. He's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Report on Business Magazine, among many other publications. Eva and Alan recently celebrated 25 years of marriage. Our conversation is rich with insight, advice, and incredible stories from their decades-long marriage and business partnerships. Please enjoy Eva and Alan Lau. Alan, I'll start with you. So you received your bachelor and master's degrees from University of Toronto's electrical engineering program. Mm -hmm. How did you decide to venture from engineering to entrepreneurship? My first job was at IBM. And I think uh, after the first day, I know big corporation is really not my thing. So uh, I was working on, I think as a software developer at IBM, uh, writing Unix software or something like that. right? Uh, and then um, I got bored because it's so slow. Uh, uh, and coincidentally, at that time, uh, Eva just graduated. We we were dating already. And she uh, her first job was at Darina. And at that point in time, I think when she joined uh, Darina, it was uh, 20 people. And I saw the excitement and how fast it, it was growing. And then uh, nine months later, I, I joined uh, Darina as well. And uh, at that point in time, it's, it's already 100 people. So I think three or four years later, the company was acquired by Symantec for half a billion dollars at that time. Uh, so it was 25 years ago uh, or more, 27 years ago. Uh, so in today's dollar, absolutely a, a unicorn exit. And at that time, it was 700 people, 800 people. I've never seen anything, a rocket ship like this. And uh we learned so much from the founders. Uh, uh, we learned so much from the entrepreneurs, uh, and we we knew how to hustle, and uh, that's how I became one. Excellent, Eva. What was your biggest takeaway from that experience, being in with less than twenty people at the company, and then seeing it escalate, as Alan mentioned? There are a few things that I think I have learned so much from that experience. So, first of all, for context. Um, me and Alan met in University of Toronto, and I was in industrial engineering. So I, for those who are around the audience right now, would have understood what it meant by one of the very few women in a work environment. Uh, nowadays, engineering school, I think U of T has a 50-50 uh, you know, parity when it comes to female students or women, women student or men student. But back in the days, um, I was one of the 20%. So when I was uh, in that uh, environment, in a work environment, I would say many, many times I found myself as the only woman uh, in the room hosting a meeting uh, with 20, 30 software engineers, all men. And, uh, you know, that environment was certainly very different uh, than nowadays when we talk about diversity and inclusion. 
But at the same time, I looked at how those entrepreneurs relentlessly build products, uh, don't care about, you know, what gender or whatever, but just kind of with one goal of getting things done, uh, shipping the product out of the door, basically uh, surprising the customers with the best product you can ever build. That mentality stuck with me so much. It's entrepreneurs hustles, get things done, listen to the customers. And those are the hardcore lessons I have learned. And, you know, and so many of those uh, entrepreneurs uh, or founders uh, back in the days are still great friends of mine. And they didn't look at me just saying, you know, because you're just a woman and just sit at the corner. They gave me the opportunities to, to really shine and do, you know, whatever I'm good at to move the company, move the product forward. And, uh, you know, I would say that me and Alan had great mentors. We're still great friends with many of them right now. Uh, they have been very supportive in our journey. All, all of them have been, you know, very, very uh, supportive in our journey. And uh, yeah, so I would just kind of leave it at that for now. And in addition to your background in industrial engineering from University of Toronto, Eva, you also have an MBA from Schulich. So after having done a very technical degree, what inspired you to get an MBA? That's an awesome question because, you know, at the time, I think like many engineers, I always thought that what's next, you know, I've done a lot of technical work. I grew into a management uh, position, even, you know, in these uh, dark calm days, I, when I work in an incubator, um, I was being assigned to many incubators in very senior management positions, VP of engineering, uh, perhaps even business development. And I think, you know, for me uh, as a lifelong learner, I just felt that it's important for me to basically broaden my horizon to see what's out there, what other people that didn't look like me, didn't have the same upbringing, didn't have that same uh, professional experience. I wanted to learn from all those people and trying to figure out what did I miss? What do I don't know? See, the thing is that so many times uh, as an entrepreneur, we don't know what we don't know, right? So it's extremely horrible to be in a tunnel vision of like, I know it all. But at the same time, you actually don't know it all. So for me, um, I chose to uh, do my MBA during my mat leave. Um, it was because I just want to see what's out there. Uh, I just wanted to learn from other people. It was actually a very, very exciting uh, experience because I ended up assigned to you know project groups with people that had never had the same uh, you know experience professional experience uh, that I had I remember working with uh, a director of of nurse in a hospital I work with uh, Montessori school principals uh, <laughs> that have multiple campuses and and I've you know learned from uh, people who are an accounting firm so those diversity gave me different perspective and it has stuck with me because when I continued my, my journey, especially as an entrepreneur and building Wattpad with Alan, it, it stuck with me that there are different type of people around us, not only from a professional perspective, but also at our user base. So it allows me to have that perspective uh, professionally. And I really cherish the time that I had uh, in my MBA program. And Alan, you are one of the co-founders of Wattpad, of course, building it from scratch. Entrepreneurship can sometimes be shown to the world as being, you know, very glamorous. I'm sure that in those early days and making the decision to go out and, and start something new, there was lots going on for you. I'm wondering what was that process like and what really drove you to decide to build Wattpad in the first place? Well, um, before Wattpad, we, uh, um, we because I used the word we because uh, Ivan was the co-founder of another company with me together. Uh, so um, I started three companies, two of them co-founded with Ivan together. Um, so it came very naturally to me because uh, as a founder CEO, uh, now I, perhaps I could articulate this a little bit better than 15 years ago when I started the, the, the company. Um, uh, a founder CEO is a very, very different beast compared to a professional hire CEO, right? Uh, the skill set very different, uh, the product mindset perhaps very different, uh, the 
the ability to um, condense the idea into vision and, and clearly communicate to the team. Um, I'm just highlighting a few things, but of course there there are there are more. Uh, those are very very important skill sets, uh, and this is what I learned. You know, uh, to circle back to my early days experience, I, I learned from these founders. I don't think I want to look for a job, <laughs> so uh, starting a company became became very natural to me. Uh, even though after the acquisition, I actually stay on for uh, uh, for maybe four or five years before I joined Bracebark. Uh, Bracebark at that time, it was an incubator. Now it's more like venture capital. Um, I stay on for, for a few years after all the founders uh, were gone. Uh, but I think that's also, um, I didn't realize that at that time, but um, learning how a larger co- corporation, a larger company, how, learn how they operate, how they scale, how they manage mm-hmm. a large team, um, that's super, super helpful. In in a way, it uh, 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 helped the, the, the WordPad journey at the end. And I'm, I'm so glad that I started uh, WordPad as my company number three, not the company number one, because there are so many scars on my back that I, I would have made a lot more mistakes. Uh, the Well, nothing is, is mistake-free. You know, the, <laughs> the, the plane crashed, almost crashed a few times. <laughs> uh, the plane almost crashed a few times. Uh, I think at the end, it, it did all right. And I would say is um, the combination of of working for amazing entrepreneurs and, and see a company scale, that experience is so unique that I, I leverage that a lot. And Alan, what would you say is the biggest mistake you avoided, given that Wattpad was company number three? Do you remember one big decision you made that you would have taken differently had you not had the previous experience? Well, there are so many, but if you ask me, perhaps surround yourself with the right team, surround yourself with the right investors. And uh, um, I would also say perhaps scaling uh, from zero to when we uh, when Wattpad was acquired, or shortly afterwards, we grew to 300 people. Right? As a CEO, running a company that is basically just two founders is very different than running a company with 10 people. Uh, at 30 people, you you have another layer of uh, leadership or management, right? You start to have two layers, right? Before you know, you have a matrix organization and four layers of, of, of leaders and managers. Uh, you have to run the internship program, build a culture because you don't, you don't talk to the um, new people uh, every day anymore. I, um, one thing I'm still very proud is everyone, I maintain one-on-one meetings with everyone in the company uh, right until I, um, I step aside, right? So these are the things that um, the experience definitely would help. If I didn't do that, uh, I think the plane probably would have crashed. And Eva, you were Wattpad's head of community and content. You helped nurture and scale the Wattpad community from its infancy to become one of the world's largest online communities with tens of millions of monthly users around the world. I'm curious, knowing that at the early stages, you probably could have picked to invest your time almost anywhere in the company. What drew you to the role of managing the community? Well, I think it's a very natural position. The reason is because um, at the end of the day, when you build a product that involves people, meaning that you need to have that network of users to grow that network of stories, to grow that network of data, you better be very close to where the action is, meaning where the users are and how are they creating the content. And when... Alan was so busy fundraising, dealing with investors' relationship, and at the same time growing the company. And the other co-founder, Ivan, was so busy building the tech stack, someone has to be very close to where the action is. So it's very natural for me to go where the action is, meaning close to the users and close to the content creation. And if we actually look at how we did it in the early days, when, you know, a company was so, I would say, very little funding uh, during the, you know, the, the pre-seed stage uh, before the, the, the first investor came in, uh, we had to do a lot of smart things at the product level to drive that adoption through the users and drive the users to create what we need, meaning the content. Uh, we are very proud to say that I would say in the first 
maybe even 10 years of Wattpad journey, we spent zero dollars in marketing. Wow. And that's the reason why is because we spend all the time understanding user psychology, building the product that drives them to do what we needed them to do is to read, write, and, and give us those, you know, flywheel effect. So it's very important for us, um, you know, to be with, uh, to be close, you know, ears to the ground. And in that context, you know, I encourage, you know, the audience right now is if you are building products, uh, building your next, uh, you know, I would say, you know, venture is to spend time with your customers, spend time with the users, understand what they're doing, because those investment in terms of time and energy will translate to the success of your company. And you mentioned building that broad scale adoption was so important. In order to do that, I'm sure you had to create quite a welcoming environment for all different types of stories. So can you think back to some of the policies or user experiences that you focused on as you built a community of people that were that broad and that welcoming? Is there anything specific you implemented in the early stages that really paid off for you, Eva? Absolutely. I think, you know, for us, you know, to be a welcoming uh, environment uh, for very creative people, what it means is it's extremely important to drive that acceptance, to drive that narrative of like anybody can share their stories. Um, it can be as uh, juvenile as a 13-year-old writing their very first poem, or it could be a 70-year-old retirement who is trying to write his very first love experience, uh, you know, when he was a teenager. Um, so what I'm trying to say is, you know, that kind of like broad spectrum of audience has to feel safe mm -hmm. and welcome in the in, in 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 the on the platform. So that's why we initially, when we were very early on, uh, we wouldn't be. Um, you, we are very encouraging for people to leave comments, not critique. You see right. the difference? So, Huge. you know, by, la by labeling that field as comments rather than critique, that drives different behavior, right? So when users, you know, can upvote a story, we don't give them a downvote of the, <laughs> of the story because we don't want people to kind of make it a, an environment that people feel that they have to be perfect to be on it. And we want people to be constructive, giving the comments rather than give me your, feed, your, 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 your feedback or critique. And then all of a sudden they write paragraphs and paragraphs of like critiques, which sometimes uh, a, a very young aspiring writer just want to kind of like hear about interesting, interesting haku or <laughs> lovely poem. That's the little encouragement that they need to continue on their journey. So that's the um, user psychology and that's the product feature approach that we drive. I'm sure that Alan has more to add, so I'm gonna turn it to him and let him jump right in. There's one, one quick one that I have to share. I couldn't resist the temptation. Um, the users, when they post a comment that has the F word or some of the somewhat more offensive uh, choice of words, uh, we actually gave warning and warning actually said, if you continue to do that, we'll ban you. Um, so um, it's very, very strict. Uh, and so many newer employees, they didn't have the context. Uh, they they would ask, why why would this company so crazy? We would <laughs> we would fan people and, and you say that for to other people. This is one of the very, very few I would call the CEO features. Um that's uh most people would not have the context, but once you understand why we are doing this, it would make a lot of sense. And I, I think it's still in the product today perhaps uh well uh, after i left either i don't know right but uh it was there forever so many people ask asked uh to uh it doesn't make sense right <laughs> can we take this out no no you better ask alan <laughs> that's all the, the old time i would tell them 
See, the thing is, you know, uh, in today's culture, allow me to say, seeing the, saying the F word, it's really just kind of like an exaggeration or kind of an expression. And I don't mean to be big brother or big sisters, um, you know, around people not saying that word. But imagine that every time you you, you type in something with the F word, it, it automatically say, hey, don't 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 use this word. It's, it's too offensive, da, 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 da. But it gives people kind of like a reflection of like, hold on a second, like, am I really being too mm-hmm. too strong? So they start using things like with an asterisk, which is okay. Then you make an effort to tone down your response. It actually gives people the reflection of like, am I too harsh or am I too excited? You know, and and what impact might that have on the creator, most importantly? Exactly. Precisely. Exactly. Precisely. And it sounds like you've done such a great job of pointing out without specifically saying it, that creativity is also an iterative process, just like technical work is iterative and we build products and better and better products over time. People as creators also were were given that space to continue to improve their craft. Is that understanding that correctly? Absolutely. I mean, who would have uh, being able to publish their, their first a uh, hundred thousand word novel in one day, you know, yeah. it takes many years yeah. to get to where you want to be. And you, I see the thing is, this is what I meant by being close to the user. I I was never a story writer. I read a lot of stories. I love reading romance story and falling in love with different men, you know, it, depending on the story, <laughs> not in real life. My real life has only one man, but, but you know what I mean? So thanks for the what, clarification. <laughs> <laughs> but, but guess what I did? I start writing a story on Wattpad, yeah. not because I'm a writer, but because I want to understand the, the, the psychology of what it takes to write a story and how scary it is to upload your very first chapter and how excited it is to get the first comment of like, interesting story plot, Eva, where is your next chapter? That excitement was like, oh my gosh, someone (laughs) liked my story. That feeling, it's like you cannot get, get it anywhere else because I spent 10 hours to write 5,000 words words and then someone is like interesting give me the next chapter that boost of confidence it's like you cannot get it anywhere else so then that's how you kind of get into the psychology of the users understanding what makes them wants to continue so getting close to the user use your own product have the experience of the users then all in a sudden help you be a better creator as a product person because you iterate your product, understanding what's going to make your user successful. It's fantastic. So Alan, Wattpad has raised $120 million US from top VCs in Silicon Valley, New York, Canada, and Asia. What was the most difficult part in the process of fundraising? And if you had to do it again, would you change anything? A very, very good question. Um, I, For the most part, perhaps not. I'm very, very fortunate that uh, early on there were uh, people who have done this before, helped me uh, kind of do the cap table uh, uh, construction exercise. Um, um, not not exactly go through all the details, but um, uh, where you find the lead investor, you know, uh, uh, what else on the, on the cap table. Um, we, um, For example, we, we, we make sure uh, we were uh, way ahead of time. You know, eventually we became uh, one of the monetization methods was uh, making movies, right? So we, we need to be good at entertainment. Um, another vertical was book publishing, like traditional book publishing. We uh, That was another uh, business model uh, that, that we had. So um, how, how do we find the right investor on the cap table? Um, um, the, the lead might not have all the skills uh, or all the connections or the capability, but you know, you, you uh, some of them might not, some of the investors might not want to be uh, the lead investor and that's okay. So um, the most powerful thing is we, um, I think most of the cap table, they are not just capital provider, they provide uh, a million things that we, we uh, you know, just capital would not be able to provide us. Um, I guess uh, that's that would be the biggest 
takeaway. Uh, the um, the other takeaway, uh, I think, very important was we we in terms of cash burn, we were relatively conservative. Um, in a way, we um, we had the mindset that uh, once we raise a round, uh, it could be our last round. Let's right. uh, make sure that uh, you know sometimes you, you don't always get this right. You know, uh, there was one round we kind of. Uh, miscalculate by by a bit, but not not by mile. And uh, I think in the history, uh, fifteen year history, I don't think we had uh, any given point in time we had uh, fewer than twelve months of runway. Um, that's pretty hard to do. Um, but managing cash is uh, one of the jobs that C- CEO should do. Uh, it's not the CFO's job. You know, it's the CEO's job. CFO can help you, but ultimately, w- w- whether you you decide to go funding now or wait 10 or six months, wait another 12 months, you know, or, or never, right? As a CEO call. So um, that's what, uh, yeah. The cash flow is just sort of a reflection of your strategy as well. Yeah. In in a way, um, I would highlight um, one thing in that's very important in life in general, but I think running a venture back company or company uh, is very useful as well. Um, make sure there's optionality, right? Uh, if you if you want a good deal, you don't want to be corner, right? Uh, uh, so yeah, once you have that optionality in front of us, then you you could go raise, not raise, um, or raise a smaller amount. You know, um, you, you have that option that can help you make uh, uh, make the most optimal decision. And now, despite Wattpad having an increasingly global presence over the years, you continued to build and invest in Canada. For example, the new headquarters announced in Halifax in 2021. I'm curious to to both of you, what drives you to continue to build and invest in Canada? Yeah, uh, well, maybe I'll start first. I'll pass the mic to Eva in, in a second. Um we believe we have amazing talent, uh, and uh, uh, for us, we Wattpad is a very, very global business. Right now, um, we on an average day we have people writers upload a million new chapters in fifty languages, uh, pretty wow. much every single corner around the world. So um, we we need to find. Uh, uh, if I could choose, of course, I sleep in in Toronto at night, right? But uh, <laughs> in a way, it, it, it uh, worked out really well for for me because um, building a company is not just the the business itself; it's also building the organization. It's all about the team as well, and that team need absolutely uh, need needed to, uh, and of course, uh, using present tense, you know, needs to to have the global mindset, and that global mindset you need to build the company in uh, in the metropolitan that is very very culturally diverse, uh, not just the language but the but the culture. So people get what people are doing in Turkey, for example, or Philippines or Germany or France, right? Um, so uh, there are only like very, very few uh, metropolitans that, that would have their characteristics and, and Toronto is one of them. And uh, um, um, perhaps quickly touch on Halifax. Uh, one of the reasons is, um, well, as we all know, Toronto uh, has become quite expensive, but we love the talent here. So um, in a way, building a second headquarter within the same country also makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, Halifax is uh, up and rising, uh, a little bit smaller, but equally diverse. I was completely shocked and surprised by how diverse it is. Uh, and the talent is equally amazing. So um, uh, I guess, keep a long story short, uh, in, in a way we build the second headquarter, want to replicate the um, early success of Wattpad in building the headquarter here more than 10 years ago. You know, Halifax is new, new Toronto from, uh, from this perspective. Eva? Yeah, so I certainly want to chime in in terms of the diversity of our population here in Canada. Um, in the last, I would say, uh, couple decades, uh, immigrant has you know come to Canada to pursue their dreams. So we have more and more uh, people in our country have that global mindset. Not only do they bring in from their uh, home country, you know, of that culture, but because um, you know, us in in Canada, we have that language uh, diversity right off from the, uh, I mean, the English and the French, you know, background. But then we now have more of those uh, immigrants uh, bringing that diversity. 
But at the same time, I also want to, you know, highlight how awesome it is for Canada specifically, I would say even in Toronto or, or in many of our uh, metropolitan cities here that we have all the ingredient to be successful to build our own sandbox. Think about Toronto. Uh, if you walk on the University Avenue, you have the best academic you know, schools here in, in Canada. We have the healthcare system right here. We have the banking industry here. We have the entertainment industry here. Um, we have the fashion industry here. You name it. It's the best sandbox environment. You know, we can build our next generation of technology companies. Why I say sandbox? Because yes, we are a sandbox because we are one tenth, we're a very small country, one tenth of the market in the US. But it allowed us to be very innovative, very nimble, build our, our technology, get to the customers, get to our test market fairly quickly. And once we are ready, we can just go and scale very, very rapidly. So that's why I think, you know, building in Canada give us this unfair advantage to iterate quickly, to, you know, have our own sandbox environment very quickly, and then be able to scale when we are ready. So I just feel that, you know, Canada certainly is a, it's a homeland for many innovations to come for sure. Amazing. And Alan, just one last question here on, on Wattpad. Mm -hmm. um, in 2021, company was acquired by Naver, the South Korean internet conglomerate, in a transaction valued at more than $600 million US. When Wattpad's acquisition was announced, you were quoted saying, I'm not done yet. What I would say is today is the last episode of season one, but tomorrow is the more amazing first episode of season two. So I'm guessing we're in season two right now. What does season <laughs> two look like? Well, uh, season two is uh, too small fish. Uh, I, um, it was... Uh, uh, very clear in my goodbye. I, don't, I didn't want to use the word goodbye, but it was the goodbye blog post. I called this a final curtain call. And uh, I, I I don't think I wanted to be a CEO ever again. Uh, never say never, but um, I really mean it. Um, the reason is not because I loved my job, you know, as I could continue. However, um, as I pointed out early on, um, the there's a big difference between a professional CEO and and, and a founder CEO. Um, do I really want to start another company again? Or the choice in front of me is perhaps invest in amazing founders, amazing entrepreneurs, and help them build uh, many more amazing companies rather than me building one again? Uh, the answer is actually quite uh, obvious to me. Um, uh, I've been the, uh, the uh, part of Two Small Fish. I uh, have to emphasize I'm the smaller, smaller fish. Uh, we co-founded <laughs> together. Uh, with Eva and me, we co-founded this eight years ago. Um, we have a 40-company portfolio, and uh, we just raised Fund 3. Um, so I actually really like that transition. It gives me uh, the same adrenaline. And at the same time, you know, I could work with um, uh, multiple founders uh, all in one afternoon, and I find it equally fulfilling. And Eva, in 2014, you formally launched Two Small Fish Ventures, as Alan mentioned. Now in 2022, it's gone on to raise multiple funds. So in the last eight years of this journey, what has been your biggest lesson investing in businesses and founders? Wow, I have many lessons learned. But I think, you know, um, if you were to ask me to pick one that really stand out is to back founders that are mission and vision driven, that are really trying to you know, build technology companies to shift the paradigm or transform an industry. I think you know, uh, you know, if we look at the Canadian ecosystem versus uh, specifically the uh, US ecosystem, traditionally, traditionally, I would say, uh, Canadian are more uh, conservative or risk averse in terms of let's just build a, an awesome business and uh, scale it from 1 million ARR to 50 million ARR or 80 million ARR. Those are all great. You know, I, I wouldn't say that scaling it to 80 million ARR or 100 million ARR is a bad thing. No, I, I didn't mean it that way. 
But what I meant is I'm seeing more and more entrepreneurs who really want to do something transformative, driving a change uh, with that mission and that vision of how their technology can really upend an industry or allow those people in that industry to do things that they couldn't have done without their technology. So for me, um, being able to spot those founders and enable them to help them from that mindset of like, yes, a lot of investors will be asking you, how, what's your business model? How do you monetize? Uh, are you leaving money on the table? Those are key questions. But being an investor to kind of sit back with them and say, look, I know you need to build a money-making business. I want you to build a money-making you know, money business as well. But let's just step back here. What exactly are you really trying to transform? And tell me how I can help you in that journey. That to me is what VC should be doing. VC is taking very early bets with founders who have big dreams. And it's us who want who are going to be work with their journey in a five, seven, 10 years horizon to enable them on that journey. And I feel that, you know, for me, we need to ask this question more often, more than focusing on their business model, is to what exactly are you building right now? So that's mm -hmm. why when I am sometimes, you know, mentoring companies uh, at Creative Destruction Lab, I always say, step back, imagine if you're going to be on the Globe and Mail front page 10 years later, what would you want them to describe us did you want them to say company x has now 100 million arr is that what you want to say is that all what you want them to say it's a great reflection for the founders who's just on a sudden kind of like stop on their tracks it's like hold on you're right what do i really want people to describe me how do i want people to describe me 10 years later is it just growing the business in one dimension? Maybe not. And if that's the case, articulate what you want to be, not necessarily kind of be a fluffy, you know, I will be saving people's life or, you know, or, you know, you know, be the, be the, be, be whatever, you know, changing the world, but be more concrete. How would you want people to describe you or describe the company in 10 years time? And so you must see a lot of startup pitches, Eva. What do you feel is the most common mistake you see founders make in a pitch? And do you have any advice for the brave and ambitious people that are looking to build new businesses out of thin air? The, the biggest mistake I have seen is like in three years, my company will be acquired by Google. <laughs> uh, because the biggest mistake that I will be asking you is what if it doesn't happen? Then, yeah. then what are you? Right. So that to me is what comes down to the mindset. It goes back to the previous point that I was making. It's like, how do you expect people to describe you in 10 years? Because the exit strategy that you were thinking in three years, first of all, is very, very short. And second of all, is what if that didn't materialize? Mm -hmm. Then who are you? So that to me is the biggest mistake I have seen. It's like, exit three years this much I'm like hold on a second like I, I don't need you to tell me how you're going to exit because I need you to tell me how you're going to be independent and be ginormously successful in 10 years that's what I want to see that's your biggest piece of advice then is make sure that you can articulate your vision I think you know from what I have seen Alan has built at Wattpad I think you know maybe give a little bit of context because during the very early days when Wattpad was maybe tens of thousands of users or maybe half, you know, 50,000, maybe 100,000 monthly users, a lot of people would then envision that Wattpad is like, oh, good, you can start selling books and one day maybe Amazon will acquire you. Or, oh, yeah, you have all these users on uh, Wattpad, you know, aspiring writers, writing stories, maybe one day, you know, the publishers will acquire you, be, you know, be the talent pipeline. But we were not building to be acquired. 
by Amazon nor being acquired by a publisher. We were on our own terms, creating something amazing that completely transformed the mindset for aspiring writers. And guess where we lead us? We end up being a transformative force in an entertainment industry, making movies, TV shows, and books. So if we were thinking about, yeah, in three years, we're going to have all these users, you know, starting to write their aspiring, you know, uh, stories, we'll get acquired by Amazon. Then you will end up building a business, hopefully will be acquired by Amazon. Yeah, your day-to-day decision would be drastically different if you, your single mind is towards being acquired. Uh, I would say we it, we never built for acquisition. Uh, the best companies are being uh, are being acquired, not being sold. Right. So um, we we had all the optionality. Just to circle back to to the point, we had all the optionality in front of us, and it just turned out acquisition. Um, it just happened, uh, uh, but um, I would also say, um, um, uh, please don't get us wrong. It's not like you don't think about business model. It's not you, you, you don't worry about that at all. Uh, that's not what we we said. So for 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 some companies, uh, perhaps the business model is so obvious in day one. Then of course you you start making money, right? <laughs> but for many companies. Uh, um, might not be more than half the companies, but I would say many, many companies, the business model might not be that obvious early on, especially in uh, in the days of like uh, billions of data being collected, uh, user-generated and, 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 and some other uh, domains. Uh, you, you have to build that critical mass first before the obvious business model or the most effective business models would become uh, possible or feasible, right? So you you kind of have that need to have that roadmap in mind and and do it in the in the right sequence. And so, Eva, to ask you your own question, I know it's a little different, but ten years from now, what would you want the two small fish ventures headline to be? Wow, that's a big question. So I would say that you know what I want is people to describe two small fish are the best partner in your entrepreneurial journey and will enable you to build an awesome company and change the domain that you want to change. We want to be the best investment partner of the most transformative technology companies, I would say, even in the world. Alan, as the smaller fish, but Alan, does that line up for you? Uh, Absolutely. I I don't have much more to say uh, other than that we... We look for transformative or, uh, um, or disruptive, very di- uh, change in behavior. This is one thing that we have um, a lot of conviction on because once you can change the behavior, when you have new ways to, to do things, uh, the return typically is higher because you, you're inventing brand new things. And as an early tech company, you get in early. These two, the confluence of, of these two would naturally generate the highest possible return. And, and we've seen it in front of our own eyes. Um, so um, I think being part of the journey to help uh, entrepreneurs scale from two, three, maybe one or four founders together to 10 people, 30 people, 100 people, and then 1,000 people, that's super, super exciting. I, I get goosebumps even say, saying this. If we could be more involved in uh, some of these companies, not running the company, but uh, uh, leveraging what we learned some in a hard way uh, to help these companies. Uh, these companies uh, grow faster, um, uh, avoid the, uh, some of the plane crash, but also fly higher. You need both, right? Uh, that will be super, super awesome. Yeah. Even- so we... Yeah, I was just going to add, I was just going to add again, we want to be the best partners. Yeah, I was going to ask you because you're so clear on using the word partner. And I think a lot of people would say they're investors. And so can you differentiate why partner is such an important word for you versus simply investors? Investors, by definition, look at a journey in terms of return. You know, if we mutual fund has an investor, asset manager is an investor, they look at money in, money out. For us, certainly we are investors. I'm not running a charity, 
but we are partners in a way that we want to be supportive and enablers for for entrepreneurs to get to where they need to be, want to be, and have the company be the ultimate success. So for us, uh, we are their partners in the journey. Uh, we want to be there for them. So if we do all those things right, guess what? Return will come. Yeah, I, I think to uh, um, so go back to my earlier point, I think this is good context because um, I, I want to be the uh, uh, smartest or, or uh, the smart entry on the cap table, right? We are not just providing capital. We can help you if you have interesting technologies, we help you turn that into products. If you have interesting products, we help you turn this into a real business, right? These are very distinct steps that uh, you, you need very, very diff different skill set at a uh, different stage because you need to build the organization, build the culture. Uh, many things that I talked about early on, so I'm not going to repeat that, but uh, um uh it's it's not it's not just writing a check and we we don't want to want to be just writing a check you know there are many other people doing that um, and we we are not interested in just writing check we we want to be uh yeah we we want to feel motivated to to become the smart capital on, on your cap table and so Eva, the portfolio at Two Small Fish includes one of Canada's most successful unicorns, and you've invested now in over 30 companies, which have gone on to raise over $600 million. Has your decision-making process for an investment changed over the last eight years from when it started to now, or is it pretty much the same? I would say, you know, um, I remain pretty much the same, but at the same time, I certainly have, um, I would I would say, expand um, the narrative or, you know, where my positioning was. So when I was an angel, so certainly I was looking at very early stage, but the whole idea was to leverage the experience that I had or Alan had uh, in building Wattpad and sharing our war scars and sharing our victories um, with the portfolio companies. So as I raised uh, fund two, then the, the narrative continued to build on that, but very focused on network effects, building, you know, investing in companies that have strong network effects, uh, whether it's a network of users or a network of uh, uh, IoT devices or a network of businesses uh, to a point of a network of data. So then it, you know, in an agnostic fund, it translates into marketplaces, AI and, and blockchain companies. Now that uh, we are in fund three, our experience in the ecosystem certainly have allowed us to see more than what we used to see. And, and um, innovation has continued to surprise us in different domains. So one of the uh, uh, very interesting investment that I've made was sheer tax. What does sheer tax has to do with digital? Well, certainly, you know, Catherine, you know, uh, the, the, the CEO and, and founder have done amazing uh, transformation in the in the uh, manufacturing process and things like that. But guess what? That transformation in terms of consumer behavior of don't have to carry a secondary pair of pantyhose when you're in an event, just in, just in case you're the one that you're wearing just kind of embarrass you in, in the whole thing. That is a change in user behavior, right? So not that I'm saying that I will be focusing in that space. No, not at all. But what I am saying is that we are now seeing that a lot of technology-based companies are transforming behavior. That's exactly what Alan said. What is the behavior that people are, are you know, are, are being changed because of the, the, the presence of, of the new innovation? So would it expand our, our position that we're looking for opportunity that really transforms lives, transform pe how people play, live, and work? in the day-to-day. -day. So continue to double click on the strong network because you cannot have a change in isolation. So we continue to double click on the network of people, the network of devices, the network of data, but we also want to look at that transformation when it comes to behavioral change at the user level of how the technology is enabling them to do things that they couldn't have done prior the innovation. And so you you two are, are 
two of the few people in Canada that have seeded, scaled, and successfully achieved a near 10-figure exit with their own company. That takes a lot of team building. And so I'm curious to know, what are the values that you hold most dearly as you build your teams or as you advise the ventures that you're investing in through Two Small Fish? What are those values or core values that you like to emanate as leaders? Yeah, I guess um, um, one thing I would say, perhaps I have better articulation or better appreciation. I think that's the right word, appreciation of how impactful it is, is the culture. It's not just the hiring process, right? You, uh, Everyone looks good on your resume. Uh, when you hire, you know, they, they are, they're always good. Right, but the the much more ten times more difficult part is not is not at the wedding. It's the ten years after the marriage, <laughs> right? You want to work with this person in the next three years, five years, uh, in some cases, over ten years. We have a few, right? Um, how would that look like? How would we keep them excited? How would we keep them motivated? Easier said than done. Then you know, hey, let me uh, increase the offer by five thousand bucks, and this person will sign on. That's easy, right? Uh, but building that team much harder. Um, I think the um, uh, one thing I would I would say perhaps uh, perhaps in in a um, very interesting way to articulate is uh, is early stage CEO uh, building the technology or the product. Right, and then afterwards, it's more about building the the sausage factory to build the sausage. You know, you're not no longer building the, the products anymore. Your product is your company. If you treat your product your, your company like that, then amazing products will come out from the company. But uh, you need to have the not just the talent, but making sure the talents are working together. That's so so hard to do. Eva, would you have anything? Oh yes, I would add one thing. I would add two things, uh, but I think they goes hand in hand. I would say, you know, to in any journey, it could be a, re, a a personal journey, it could be a company journey, it could be a customer journey. Any journey when it involves human has to build on two things, and that's called integrity and trust. I, you know, me and Alan have been together since we were teenager. We met in school. We fight, we argue, but we trust each other because we have the integrity of not damaging our relationship. So every time he crit criticized me, obviously I wouldn't be feeling great. Like no one wants to be criticized, but I knew he came from a good place. He did not try to tear me down. He wanted me to be a better person. So same thing. When we argue about business ideas or even decisions, I did not try to tear him down as a CEO. I want to give him the honest feedback with integrity and he trusted me with that opinion. So for any relationship, you know, for those audience right now, whether you are trying to find a co-founder or you are building a business, uh, trying to hire your executive um, team members, Remember, what makes it a different conversation is your integrity and how trusting you are as a person. Those two goes hand in hand, and it will not be any good relationship if you in you know if you're missing one or the other. So I would say yes, maintain your integrity and build trust. With the people around you. It's really unique to find two people that are able to have such a rich personal and business partnerships. You know, you just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Uh, <laughs> Alan, would you add anything else as to what the elements are of your relationship with Eva that makes this possible? Um, well, I have only married one so I have a sample size of one. So if you're asking for marriage advice, uh, I can tell you what I did. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know if we could generalize to other people. You know, you could see see, see some other plane crash or crashes. Uh, but uh, I, um, we have a drastically different personality. You cannot find two people who are 
more different than, than us. At the same time, we kind of share the, the common interests or, or hobby or the lack of it. Uh, we, we are pretty boring people. We love uh, what we do at work. Uh, we love technologies. We love products. We love building companies that in a way became our hobbies, right? So we, uh, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's work. Uh, it's very hard to, to explain. We have a lot of joy in it. I think the, for anyone that could do well um, uh, in the career or marriage or, and, and ideally both, um, you, you have to be happy. You have to have joy. Uh, you have to be passionate about what, what you do. So in a way, chase your, your passion is nothing wrong, but it's also important that you have to be good at that. I, I suck at cooking, right? So <laughs> I can, uh, if you ask me to cook every night, uh, I, I think I wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, and Eva, Alan's pointing out that your personalities are so different, but it sounds like your value system is really mu very much the same. Um, would you expand on that a little for us? Uh, oh, absolutely. You know, for me and Alan, we, we are very polar opposite when it comes to our personality. He's an introvert. Um, I am a big extroverted introvert, meaning that I, I cherish my own personal time, but I love to socialize. So that's why a lot of people, when they see me in the event, they kind of see me mingling with people and Alan will be the quiet person having one-on-one -on -one conversation, that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, what it comes back to is the value, like how we see each other in this partnership and being able to, I become his strength in his weakness and she became my strength in my weakness. Then all of a sudden, is one plus one becomes far more than two. And we cherish each other because of our trust and integrity. And we knew that this kind of relationship didn't come naturally. And it takes time to build that trust. And uh, we wouldn't take it lightly that it's it's natural or easy. Oh, yeah, you know, we, we just love each other. We easily married for 25. It's not just that. Because what if, imagine, if if I took sometimes his criticism too seriously, it could be marriage damaging, mm -hmm. right? But the thing is, I knew that I, I understood, I, I trust him. Then on a son that become like, hey, yeah, he may criticize me, but I have to, I have to listen, right? So relationship, it's, it's very, divine may be too strong a word, but it's, it's something that we have to cherish. No one encounterman or no one person will invest the time if they don't love you. So I think it's important that we treat, you know, human relationship as something that uh, not lightly, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, I, I just know him or, or I just know her uh, because every encounterman, there must be a reason. Um, so even though when I see startups that are not necessarily in my wheelhouse, sometimes I do actually kind of still give them the, the, the 15, 20 minutes because maybe that 15, 20 minutes is that person's most needed at the time, right? And giving them that respect and that hope is just really amazing. Yeah. And not only that, like, I mean, I mean, in this whole ginormous ocean of innovation, I, I seriously see ourselves as just two small fish because there will always be funds bigger than our size. There will always be people who have done more in our in their lives than, than we did. And hey, happy to be two small fish. After all, uh, in the in the in the Bible, there was a story, you know, the two small fish, five loaves of bread, fed five thousand people with leftovers. If we can invest and grow five thousand extremely successful companies, I'm more than happy to be just two small fish. Welcome to The Debrief, the meeting after the meeting. We're joined by your host, Sonia Senek, and a couple of her friends from work, Amar Kaur and me, Elizabeth Chim. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Sonia. Greetings. Alan and Eva are such relationship goals. They're an amazing couple. Yes, hashtag relationship goals. What stuck out to you the most? They seem to just really understand how 
they're supposed to work with each other. Um, they just seem to know each other very deeply. And so just the fact that they're such opposite people, is just really nice to see. And you could just feel the respect that they have for each other and the strengths that each of them hold in the way they spoke to each other, the way they told their stories. It was really inspiring. Okay. I have some rapid fire questions for you guys. Go. What are important traits for you in a partner? Okay. So I'm going to have Amar, you answer first, just quickly. First thing it's, it's a this or that. And then Sonia, you answer right after her. Okay. Okay. This a part, like a bobsled partner, like which, cause you said partner, that's a generalized term. Romantic partner. Okay. Cause I actually have better answers for a business partner. Okay. Or a bobsled partner. Go for it. I feel confident to answer these questions for a business partner. Well, for Alan and Eva, it's both. It's both. Exactly. (laughs) So adventurous or reliable? Reliable. Reliable. Can cook or can clean? Can clean. (laughs) (laughs) I guess clean because depending on how things go in the business, they could clean up things in the business. Or maybe cook because cooking is like creating things in the business. Uh I pick cook. Okay. cook. Intellectual IQ or emotional IQ? Emotional. Can I answer both? Let me be, can I answer? Because that that one's a tie for me. It's really tough to pick. Not really how this works, but I'll let it slide. (laughs) Outdoorsy or a homebody? Outdoorsy. Homebody because then they're working on the business. What about outdoorsy as they're out there networking and getting deals done? (laughs) Okay, outdoorsy. I I changed my answer. I should be influencing these. I was, I was the rapid fire. So I was thinking too much. (laughs) A morning person or a night person? Morning. Night person. Why? Because I'm a morning person. Then it's complimentary. Ah, so the business will be running at all hours of the day. 24-7. And then artsy or analytical? Analytical. I take care of the artsy. (laughs) (laughs) So this one's a tie as well. I'm sorry, but it's a tie. You want to blend. I like that. Okay. And then what do you think is just the most important quality in a partner, whether it be romantic or business related? I remember when we had Janice on the very first episode of Connected Intelligence, she said, it's important to be gentle with yourself when you fail. And I think when you have partners in business, partners in life, friends, failure is inevitable and everyone makes mistakes. And I think if you can approach each other with kindness or as much kindness as possible in those moments, it really, really goes a long way. Yeah. What about you, Amar? I mean, I would have to agree. I was going to say respect or trust, but I feel like all of that kind of feeds into kindness because um, it all boils down to kindness as like the action or the thing that you keep in the back of your mind. Whenever you're about to say something, do something, you just do it with kindness eventually uh so i i would agree but besides that i was thinking sort of respect and trust yeah very important as well elizabeth what about you i don't know if there's a word that encapsulates this quality but i think when two people can have amazing dialogue as in you're very comfortable just talking to each other for hours even arguing um the arguing is conducive and you expand each other's perspectives. I don't know what quality that is, but I think that's so important in a relationship. There's a broad spectrum of things that you can talk about and that that builds a foundation of just like connection. I feel like maybe maybe the word is connection. You said the name of the movie. <laughs> I think um, what you both just talked about, I saw it come out a lot and Alan and Eva even said it, is that at the end of the day, they may be different people or polar opposites as they call themselves, but their set of values is very clear. So the value system that builds upon everything that they do and whatever decision they make, whether in their personal life or professional life, it boils down to that. Um, Something that stood out to me that Alan and Eva were talking about was how they made sure to really make Wattpad a safe space when they first started out. And that was actually exactly what Seema had said in a previous episode, um, who is the chief product officer for Wattpad. And I just like really agree with that. The internet can be a very mean space. And even when you're a writer, though, you do need that critique. But just like the free for all that is the internet is not the conducive place for it. 
And so it's just nice to see that they really put that into perspective, trying to nurture young writers. I really liked what Eva said about that. When Seema was on the podcast, she mentioned that a lot of the best practices that Eva implemented really early on were still there. And that whole idea of commenting versus critiquing and being able to just encourage and incubate creativity, we need more spaces like that. And I think that that's, it's just really inspiring to see that there's one that exists and that is thriving. And now all these stories are, you know, becoming published books or movies or series. It's really, really exciting to see. Amar, did you ever have a deviant art account? Do you remember that? Yes. So I think that's almost like in the same kind of bucket of website where I I don't relate too much with like the writing aspect, but I remember submitting, like putting art pieces out there online and then getting people commenting on them and like resharing them. And that felt very, very encouraging as a young budding artist. Do you ever get nervous putting your photography online? Oh yeah. All the time. Why? Because it's out there for people to judge. (laughs) And the imposter syndrome kicks in at that exact moment. Like every time I post, like even five minutes after I'll be like, should I go delete this? I'm not sure. Is it good enough? Each of Um, you take such amazing photos though. It's just the amount of talent out there. And I can't help myself comparing my work to others. And it doesn't always start like that. Um, Every photographer starts out taking just very regular photos that aren't super noteworthy. It's kind of like a trope where like when people start photography, it's like pictures of your hands and your feet on like beaches and like maybe a photo of a horse here and there. And it's just very (laughs) pedantic, but you have to start somewhere. You're trying to figure out your identity. And so everyone starts like that and you're still worried like when you look back on your old art it kind of makes you cringe but I remember hearing somebody say that like if you're not cringing at all of your old work it means you're not progressing oh that's so good what is your favorite thing to take pictures of horses my feet (laughs) 